0: You're listening to The Bucket List.
1: You know, Beefy, I love Game of Thrones. Big fan and Thor Bjornsson. He played the mountain in Game of Thrones. He was the strongest man in the world, but he's recently lost out that title.
2: I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, but I do know of him. He's six foot nine, 200 kilos. He's a big boy.
1: He's already been killed off in Game of Thrones. Oh, is he? So How he, did they kill him, Die? He was in an avalanche. You'll have to start watching it. He lost his title as the world's he biggest did. strongman.
2: He got injured on the first day. When he came third, the mountain was beaten by the dragon. The new guy he's Latvian, Maran Lichic. But he's called the dragon because of the fire he says he has inside. He is actually only 150 kilos.
1: And how much is the mountain?
2: 200. Thor tore his plantier fascia on the first day of competition out of the four days. So uh, basically he was limping around. In the first day, he deadlifted a 375-kilo car, not just once, seven times.
1: That'd have to be so annoying, really, wouldn't it? And, I mean, Game of Thrones has finished so he's out of a job.
2: That's right. Unless he's going to be a James Bond villain. It was held in the States for the first time. Massive crowd. Some of these guys are horrendously large.
1: Wow, they must breed them big in Finland, I tell you that
0: much. The horses
2: are on the track. Good morning, you're back with a Bucket List. We've got a special guest from overseas at the minute, Lee Munnershead, the Racing Post senior writer. Lee, good morning.
3: Good lunchtime over here. I'm in the southwest of France in Dordogne on a little holiday, and it is very, very warm. Oh, what a life. Last week was a very, very busy week working at Royal Ascot. So after last week, um, a racing writer needs a few days off. I've taken a few days off in the southwest of France where wine will be drunk, food will be eaten and I'll probably end up being a little bit fatter than when I left
2: home. Beautiful. Talking of Royal Ascot tell us some of the highlights and uh, I think there was a bit of an Australian interest at Royal Ascot this year as well.
3: There was um, sadly not as much Australian interest as we used to get. You know we used to get loads of the best Australian sprinters come over to Royal Ascot. They don't tend to come anymore because you guys have got this incredibly valuable sprinting programme particularly with the race over in Sydney, the the Everest, in your springs. We tend not to get them. What we got this year was we got a horse called Hootson, trained by Toby Edmonds, who ran in the big 1,000-metre sprint, the Stan Stamplex, on the opening day at the Royal Meeting. But sadly, Hootson stumbled at the start, and that was pretty much that. The horse ran a, a fair race, but was never going to be competitive after losing the chance at the start. So Hootson ran, and the other big, uh, I suppose, Australian Participation was, was Chris Waller, um, a Kiwi, but obviously based in Australia, trainer of the Mighty Wings. Well, Chris came to Royal Ascot for the final two days on a sort of working holiday. Hmm. And on the Saturday, Chris was afforded the honour of joining the Royal Procession down the racecourse. I don't know how sort of familiar your listeners are with Royal Ascot, but it starts every day at about two o'clock with a procession from Windsor Great Park down the straight mile of Royal Ascot Racecourse. Uh, with four of the Queen's carriages, um, sumptuous carriages. It's a glorious, glorious sight. They play the national anthem, God Save the Queen, when they get towards the end of the home straight. And Chris and his wife, Stephanie, were invited into one of the carriages on the on the Saturday. So that's a real honour for Chris. And um, given that I think everyone in this part of the world has been following Winks's racing career, and very sad we didn't get to see Winks over here, um, I think it was no surprise that Chris, as part of his trip... Uh, was given
2: that honour by the Queen. We didn't really hear about that at our end of the world, so that's quite amazing.
1: No, we did get photos of the royal family and what all the women were wearing in the social magazines, but no, we didn't hear about that
3: at all. No, I suppose because Chris wasn't actually here on a working trip, or so she didn't have any runners... Over here, but what tends to happen is I think you get a lot of Australian racing professionals and owners and jockeys come over to Royal Ascot. So we had James McDonald and Karen McAvoy, two of the highest profile Aussie-based jockeys. They both rode at Royal Ascot. Didn't have any winners this year, but they were both in action. Gay Waterhouse, of course, in many ways the face of Australian racing. She comes over every year to Royal Ascot with a bookmaker husband, Rob, and they rode again. They sometimes come sourcing horses for the spring carnival because what tends to happen is increasingly the Melbourne Cup is dominated by either European-based horses or Australian-trained horses who've been bought from Europe because our horses tend to be bred much more for stamina now than is the, the Southern Hemisphere norm. So Gay comes over every year. She tries to source a few horses, and I'm sure Chris Waller will have been doing exactly the same. So... Whereas most people come over here and go shopping at places like Fortnum and Mason and Harrods, I think Gay and Chris will come over looking at different racing yards and trying to see what they can procure to take back home.
2: Right, there you go. For our listeners who are obviously in Victoria, massive racing fans, if they want to make a trip to the UK, what should be up the top of their bucket list for major racing events?
3: Definitely number one would be the Cheltenham Festival. The Cheltenham Festival, for those who aren't aware over there, it will be the biggest four days of the racing year in this part of the world it's a jumps race meeting in britain and in ireland jumps racing is every bit as popular as flat racing and in fact with racing fans it's probably more popular because the horses tend to be around for longer they race until they're eleven, twelve, 11 12 and you really get familiar with the horses it's like they're, they're friends coming back every season and the Cheltenham festival is glorious partly because it's set in in the most beautiful countryside in the cotswolds so it's a stunning backdrop the racecourse at the foot of a of a great big hill called Cleve Hill. It's a beautiful place. And the Cheltenham Festival is the Olympics of the jumps race season. You have the best horses from Britain taking on the best horses from Ireland. There's fierce rivalry between the two countries. You have about 70,000 people every day. Huge roars at the start of every race. Enormous roars at the, end, at the start and end of every race. There's, real, there's a real sense of passion behind it. So I'd say, I'd say number two will contrast that for flat racing fans with Royal Ascot good thing about Royal Ascot is the biggest flat race meeting in Europe. Across five days, um, you have the creme de la creme of European horses competing. But it's also just about the most British and the most English of all sporting occasions. You have, as I said before, you have the Queen coming down the race course at the start of every day. It's her race course. It's the Crown's race course. And you have so much pomp and pageantry, a real state occasion at Royal Ascot people dressed in top hat and tails so morning suit i was there i my morning suit and top hat but you don't have to do that you can wear pretty much what you want depending on what enclosure you're in i'd say number three the grand national the grand national is our melbourne cup it's not quite the race that stops the nation but it is by far the single biggest horse race in this part of the world in terms of tv audience figures the grand national will get about 10 million viewers on mainstream television the next biggest horse race will get about one and a half two <laughs> so it, it's Four and a quarter mile steeplechase, 30 fences, it's a real nation's race. If you have one better year on a horse race, you will have a bet on the Grand National. And number four, the Derby, probably the most iconic of all flat races around the world, partly because so many races around the world have taken their name from the Derby. It's our premier classic, around a race course, Eps and Downs. That If you were to create a race course for the world's most famous flat race, you would say, the opposite of Epsom, it's like a helter-skelter roller coaster of a race course ups and downs lots of camber twisting turns it's a very strange sort of race course but that's what makes it so great because if you win the derby you really have ticked every box of agility in the thoroughbred and again it's a great state occasion queen goes there every year as well it's a very british event and it's very exciting to watch so i say in that order, and if there is, I say one that you really have to do, the jumps Racing fan, just because of the excitement, the passion, the, 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 the overall feel of the day, it's the Cheltenham Festival. Four days, middle of March, Tuesday of Friday, definitely a bucket list job.
1: Lee, what an exciting life you lead, going to these fantastic racing <clears throat> events and, and holidaying in the south of France. Is there anything left on your bucket list?
3: You know, if there's one thing I would love to do that I've not yet done, it, it, it's to be at an Olympic Games on the opening uh, Saturday of the Athletics Club, was it this Sunday, basically the, the, the night of the 100 metres final. I've not done that yet. I had a couple of days uh, at the London Olympics. Didn't get two tickets to the uh, 100 metres final. But I always think that, in terms of a single moment of sport, for less than 10 seconds hmm. is the ultimate in terms of distilled tension, excitement, and excellence. So that would be on my bucket list.
2: I mean it's yeah. the story of the world's fastest man. Thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. It's been absolutely brilliant to hear your end of the uh, your hand of the bang and shedding a bit of a different light on our bucket list events.
1: What's for lunch in the south of France today, Lee?
3: So today for my my beloved as you thought it, I'm having a terrina fish. I'm not quite sure how it's going to appear, but that's how it's called, Terrine de Poisson. Sounds quite healthy and that's a good contrast with everything else that I'm eating, which is not healthy.
2: That's it, but uh I would like to be there with you, that's for sure. Definitely, oh, considering it's like six degrees here right now.
1: True, but he'd rather
3: be with his wife. She's actually my husband,
1: but,
2: but,
3: but he wouldn't mind either.
2: Oh, nice.
1: Oh, there you go. Three's not a crowd.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Absolutely brilliant. Hope you have an absolutely fantastic weekend and uh, look forward to the rest of the UK racing summer. Cheers, guys. Have a great weekend there.
1: Eh? Lee Modder's head on the bucket list.
2: You're listening to the bucket list. Good morning, you're back on the bucket list. We've got former England International and British Irish Lions representative, Mr. Jeff Parling.
1: How did you and uh, Beef meet each other?
2: He's persistently stalked me, so. He yeah, I would look outside my garden gate, he'd be stood there
0: be getting in my car, yeah. he would be in my car with me. I don't really know. I think he's got a key to my
1: house. I think you need to carry a little squirt gun around with you, you know what I mean? Just, yeah, just
2: something, a... maybe like a hooter.
1: Yeah, sounds cool.
2: Yeah. Rugby, from your upbringing at Stockton, it's not <laughs> a very traditionally <laughs> strong rugby area, is it? Basically a football area. We badgered the school teacher to try and get ourselves a rugby team at the school and he, he gave in. And... Any time you can choose a career in sport and it takes you around the world, it's got to be a great decision in the, in the long term.
0: Oh, 100%. Look, it's a global
1: game. Do you think it's rougher than Aussie rules?
0: Different. The collisions are certainly bigger, but the, the advantage you have in rugby is the collisions are front-on, so you brace for
2: the collision. In Super Rugby as well, teams at the moment splitting their games between Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, Japan and Australia. Do you think the travelling takes a bit of a toll across the, uh, across the season? travel is a huge factor in how you prepare for it, how you recover from it. Obviously the World Cup in Japan later this year. If I'm going with New Zealand, I think they're favourites. If I'm going with my country England, Australia, you've definitely got a chance. You spent a bit of time in Japan. Did they take you to the sumo? When I was younger, I did go to a sumo stable once and train with them.
1: But you did the training. Did you have to wear the nappy and everything?
2: Yeah, I did, myself and one of the player.
1: Magnificent.
2: Could you have made a professional sumo wrestler in your in your time? Have you seen the size of these sumos? I know, they're big boys. Absolutely massive. (laughs) Yeah, cheers. Thanks for your time
1: on the bucket list.
0: This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons.
1: Good morning. We're speaking to Jack Houghton from the Herald Sun. Jack, there's been quite a bit of controversy about the National Sports Guidelines recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Well, look, a a new guide came out earlier this month and it was developed uh, by three different organisations. So you've got the Australian Human Rights Commission, Sports Australia, um, the Coalition of Professional and Participation Sports, which... They obviously about 16,000 clubs, about 9 million athletes across the country, and these are the guys that set standards for pretty much every single junior club and also the professional ones like the AFL. These guidelines are making a whole bunch of new transgender recommendations. The big one that jumped out at everybody, and, and us particularly, was that if your child is 12 years or younger, they can, from a process of self-identification, choose to play against either boys or girls, depending on who they identify as. You could have a situation of a 12-year-old biological boy playing against sports The guidelines are saying that it would potentially be a breach of the Anti-Discrimination Act to prevent that from happening.
1: I wonder if they see that some of the girls in those clubs might have an issue or their parents might have an issue with them playing against, you know, boys and getting mm. injured because boys are a lot stronger than girls, especially at 12 years of age.
4: If you're a parent and you've got a 12-year-old girl that's playing tackle rugby... You might not necessarily want her being tackled by a biological boy.
1: The clubs would have to also spend money and and get extra locker rooms, would that be correct?
4: And they're talking about every single club wanting them to write in guidelines such as gender being assigned at birth. So the suggestion essentially that you are allocated a gender as opposed to it being biologically associated with your sex. So that's one thing that people disagree with. There's no agreement in biology and there's no necessarily evidence to back that up. So a lot of people are saying that's ideology from gender theory and Mm -hmm. that has no place in official guidelines then you have issues where they're saying, well, because of that, every club has to create a gender neutral space. So there are cost impositions when you do that. And then along with that, they're saying, well, you need to have sanitary bins in male bathrooms as well, because men and women could go back and forward based on choice. So then clubs would have to have bins for tampons in bathrooms, which traditionally only menus. And when you start to think about the cost impositions associated with creating gender-neutral bathrooms and all these other aspects, is it
2: going too far? I know the transgender side of things, there's point zero 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 five percent so what numbers are we talking about uh, under 12 age? It's got to be, what, one in 10 million, probably?
4: Even less. Whether it's because this kind of gender theory is becoming more prevalent in schools through such things such as safe schools, or whether our society is more accepting, which is the other side of it, so maybe kids are more likely to come out. I'm not going to hazard a guess of what it is. But there are a couple more coming through. So the argument is that they need to prepare boarding clubs. But I did a follow-up story with um, a transgender professional golfer called Niana Bat- She's an Adelaide woman born a biological man. The really interesting thing about her is that she was consulted on these guidelines and she thinks a lot of it is completely absurd. So this is a professional transgender athlete. This is the person that deals with these issues firsthand. And and I've gone through the guide with her as she's read it lovely person. We chatted for about two hours about this. She thinks a lot of the, this stuff is nonsense, and particularly the signed at birth part, the impositions of the sporting clubs. There's some suggestions there as well that you should not ask somebody who is transgender questions. And she's saying when she got on the circuit, all she wanted people to do was talk to her about it. All right. she wanted people to do was ask her, because this is her story, you know? The moment they did, it kind of made her feel a lot more
2: comfortable. It's all good to have some guidelines, but it's the government side of things trying Mm. to enforce community clubs to spend a fair chunk of money that they generally don't have on facilities that may never actually get used. And I think that's the biggest problem. The enforcement side of things is just crazy sometimes. But if you think about the legal liabilities, you need a legal degree to actually go through and understand this. And they were very clear, unpaid volunteers will be bound by these. We want kids to enjoy playing sport. We're trying to be all-inclusive here, but up until under 13, under 14 level, very few of those kids actually use change rooms. They turn up in their kit, they go home in their kit. At the end of the day, Mm. it's what they're playing sport on the field. It's very rare.
1: Jack, you would have been to quite a few sporting events, I would assume, being a journalist. Is there a sporting event in the world anywhere that you'd really love to get to?
4: I'm a bit of a water polo player myself. I'd love to go off to the Slavic regions and see some of those <laughs> local events. I know that might sound a little bit crazy to you guys, but I probably will at one stage, I think.
1: That sounds good. Hey, is Marco Polo
4: actually a sport? <laughs> I think that's more a, children's game, yeah. more a children's game in the pool.
2: you got to get to Malta, Jack, because obviously water polo is the national sport of Mal- Malta. Very little-known fact there. Fun fact. Is that right? Well, I'll have to check
4: it out. Well,
1: Jack, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jack Houghton from the Herald Sun on the Bucket List. From One Cover Travel Insurance, here's
4: Aisha with a travel tip. So today my travel tip is people get stuff stolen on holidays all the time, we find. And one of the main ways people get caught out is that they use paper maps to help them understand their surroundings. But if you're going to stand around in a crowded piazza, using both your hands to open a map and then stare at it in both public is exactly the kind of behaviour that's often to be targeted by pickpocketers. So essentially, people should always stick to looking at their paper map in their room or in a cafe sitting down, and you'll be likelier to keep your wallet or other valuables safe.
1: When planning your next holiday, make sure you take out travel insurance from OneCover. Onecover.com.au. There's nothing like being at a live event, whether it's the Australian Open Tennis, the Rugby World Cup 2019 in Japan, or the Bathurst 1000. With over 20 years' experience, Sportsnet will ensure the adventure of a lifetime. With over 50 world-class events, Sportsnet guarantees official tickets and accommodation, even to sold-out events. You'll even get access to behind-the-scenes experiences. Over 10,000 travellers each year choose Sportsnet. Call one 300 or visit sportsnetholidays.com.
0: Does your sporting club or community group need help with fundraising? My Club Shop is your essential fundraising partner. This free service is simple to use and can provide a -a 12-month-a-year revenue stream. With support from great companies like Samsung and TCL and new features being added daily, this revolutionary platform is a complete game changer. Did we mention it's all free? All you have to do is log on to myclubshop.com.au to register your interest and one of our friendly team will get in touch straight away. That's myclubshop.com.au.
1: And this morning we're speaking to Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays. The Australian MotoGP is on from the 25th to the 27th of October in Phillip Island. Why is this event so incredibly popular?
0: It's the only MotoGP race to be staged in Australia. It's only one of two in the Southern Hemisphere, the other being in in Argentina. It's arguably the most picturesque race. No other MotoGP race has the ocean as a backdrop when at the event. One of the rare events that both the riders and fans love. It's always special to support an Australian in their home race. Obviously, I'm talking about Jack Miller, uh, and I believe he has a great chance of winning being on a factory-spec Ducati this year. In the last six years, there's only been five different winners. For bike lovers over that weekend, there's also Moto2, there's Moto3, there's the Superbike and the Supersport classes of the Australian Championships. Phillip is a great place when the MotoGP isn't on, but when it is on and goes from 10,000 people to 50,000, it just makes for an awesome weekend.
2: The viewing is spectacular. It's such an intimate venue as well for MotoGP.
0: It's a ripper of an event and the fact that the riders love it, it just makes for such a great weekend. One of the special things that we do is that we will have a riders' function down at Phillip Island for those staying with us on Phillip Island. It'll be hosted by the famous sports commentator Gavin Emmett. In the past we've had the likes of Jack Miller or Carl Crutchlow, Loris Caporossi, Joanne Zarco have all attended our events. For those that want to get up close and personal, want to get a photo, want to get a signature, they will get that opportunity with us if they're staying in Phillip Island.
1: What travel packages do you offer.
0: Great question. We have two. They're both four-night packages, three-day events, so you're in the day before, you're checking the day after. We give people the opportunity to either stay in Philip Island 50,000 people on the island during the, the the race weekend. Not that much accommodation. We have accommodation on the island itself and just across the bridge in San Remo. Alternatively, for those on a little bit more of a budget, we have four-night packages staying in Melbourne. But for those staying in Melbourne, we transfer them to and from the circuit or to and from Island, every day on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. For an event that's a little bit logistically difficult, again, Philippine's not a big place. It's a fair way out of Melbourne. We try to make it as simple as possible uh, for those looking to experience it. What are the
2: MotoGP packages of Sportsnet offering, Daniel? But if we offer all of my favourites, they're
0: all the ones that Australians and Kiwis are looking to travel to. There's the, the famous Italian MotoGP, which was, which was just held. We offer the Japanese one we've spoken about on this show before. And that's going to be great this year because it's going to be during the, the, the Rugby World Cup time as well. We've got the Malaysian, which is probably the best value for money MotoGP on the circuit. The Thai MotoGP, which is in its second year this year. We do that one as well. We're looking forward to doing that one later this year. Next year, due to popular demand, we're bringing on three new ones. We're bringing on catalunya spain we're bringing on asin in the netherlands and we're bringing on the, the, the americas just outside of uh, austin texas we've got one eye on the, the 2021 indonesian MotoGP, gp uh, which is going to be held in lombok of all places combining MotoGP gp with a holiday to lombok or, or to bali or somewhere in
2: indonesia it's just going to make for a really special package why wouldn't you want to book through sports on holidays
0: <laughs> good question good question we're uh, an official on-sell of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, so everything is official. The Australian Grand GP is logistically difficult. You know, the circuit is, is not near a major city. There's very few accommodation options. It's difficult to get to and from, it's difficult to secure tickets, especially the, the popular grandstands and hospitality, because the event is so popular. We make that as easy as possible for our clients. For those that have the budget and, and you know, don't want to have to travel to and from Philip Bolly today, we can cater for that. For those on a bit more of a budget and are happy to stay in Melbourne, we've got packages there as well. Our special experiences, our MotoGP riders' dinner, we also include a scenic helicopter flight over the circuit, over Phillip Island, over Bass Strait for those staying in Melbourne, which is an absolute ripper.
1: If you're going to the Australian MotoGP, you have to book through Sportsnet Holidays. You can call them on 1-300-888-858. That's 1-300-888-858.
2: Sportsnetholidays.com. That's Sportsnetholidays.com.